Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. But I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, this is episode 23 of the Boys in Short Pants, the 24th episode. Uh, today we have a guest with us, uh, Rachel, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. A-L-O. 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 That's not how I mentally thought it was. I've been called Aoli, weird other I was going to go for Alio. That's not far off. I would respond to that. Okay. Rachel is a journalist at the Hill Times and has joined us today to do our sort of season one finale, it being the end of the sitting. For those outside of Ottawa, the Hill Times is sort of the industry newspaper, I, I guess I can say. It's yeah, an it, independent newspaper. It's independently owned. We kind of consider ourselves a community newspaper, but our community is Parliament Hill. Fair enough. And you have a bunch of spin-off products as well, including the Policy Magazine. Yeah, so it's called Power and Influence. Which uh, just came out today. Just came out today. It was on Spark Street handing out copies to public servants and generally confused tourists. <laughs> uh, so it comes out four times a year. This one's our Canada 150 issue. It had Trudeau on the cover. So big pickup, obviously. And uh, we've got a couple other publications as well, um, online specific. But the Hill Times is the, is the main uh, driver. Yes. The other big one is the Lobby Monitor. Lobby Monitor, yep. Uh, Parliament Now, The Wire Report, okay. kind of specific niche industry publications. Very good. Yeah. If they are the community newspaper, we are the community podcast, I suppose, you could say. Among others, I guess, I don't know, like CBC probably has a more... Uh... Anyway, uh, so we're here today uh, to start talking about uh, proposed access to information changes. The government put out uh, a list of proposed changes last week. Last week? Last week. Last oh, week. it's all blurring together. Yeah, it really is, eh? There was like four or five bills that week, so... Oh, jeez. Yeah, fun for me, but a lot of reading. Yes. Uh, so they had promised in their platform to do a couple things with access to information, one of which was to expand the existing access to information regime to uh, minister's offices and the prime minister's office, which I think we've talked about a little bit before, but now we finally got to find out if they kept their promise. And basically, Spoiler alert. basically they didn't. Um, so Rachel, do you want to walk us through a little bit what the changes are and how yeah. this compares to what you guys were expecting? Yeah, so I think first to kind of just set the scene, uh, we walked into the briefing room on this new bill. We got a tech briefing from the media, or the media got a tech briefing ahead of the minister's grand announcement. And you walk into the room, you're handed the documents, and I recognize a staffer who I know is in uh, issues management in the PMO. And my first thought was, all right, read the fine print because there's something in here that's going to go... <laughs> Maybe not the way that they said it would, and sure enough, uh, that was the proactive disclosure section. This uh, new part of the bill they've added in to kind of count their promise of opening up the minister's offices and the PMO to access. They're not actually doing that. You can't A-tip a minister. Uh, in this new section, you can, uh, through proactive disclosure, get their briefing books, uh, QP briefings in 120 days or so, but it's very specific generally not the meat and potatoes kind of access documents you'd want to get. It's the, the bland stuff you generally would hear them say in the house or somewhere else eventually anyways. So that was interesting. And that was kind of my first take on, okay, so uh, this isn't exactly what we thought it was going to be. And then we just watched the minister kind of explain some of the highlights of it. There's some good stuff. Um, the info commissioner is getting order making powers and um, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. That would be unprecedented, actually, for any officer of parliament. So. It is. It's a big step, and it's a good step, and we'll see how it goes. So it wasn't all bad news. It's just some of it was a little bit more in line with what they promised in terms of being open and transparent, as opposed to the little asterisks beside what they've actually yes. said they do. So. Yes. Well, that is actually a very significant step, in a sense, the order-making powers thing. Yeah. And, uh, but yes, they did not really fulfill the core promise of expanding the actual regime too. And to be fair to Scott Bryson, as he said during his statement, uh, this is the most comprehensive reform to access in 34 years, which fair, any progress I'd say is good. Um, Baby steps. Right, and technically they are part of the act because they've written this new this, section So this is the, the talking point line. This was the pretzel. Which sounds like, it's just such a classic talking point line of saying like, we promise to make, it's like this complete word salad of saying, like, we promise to bring ministers' offices under the act. Into the 21st <laughs> They are now in the act. <laughs> and now that they're mentioned, like, it, it could... We created this section to make it happen, so technically, we did fulfill our promise of making them. That would be so good if they had just put a section in that literally just, like, section 38. 
ministers offices or like, and that's it like just says ministers that. offices get pretzels on tuesdays so hey and now in. this is in the act like it counts yeah. they're they're covered but and they went even further because this new proactive disclosure also includes senators and mp offices not quite in the same level of detail of things that will be proactively disclosed but um travel and uh contracts okay. yeah so so on the financial side yeah. I, I think one of the aspects coming out of this that I was interested to see was whether or not officers of parliament and how sort of parliament as a whole was brought under the act. And the answer is it wasn't really. Um, it was basically just financial disclosure stuff, which is pretty yeah. boring. And a lot of MPs were doing by by their own will anyways. Yeah. And it's uh, honestly like it's there's not really like anything interesting there like mps are not we'll see Uh, but i think it's a good step at least into this new area of potentially things journalists and other people who atip have to tap into but generally i'm not (laughs) expecting the proactive disclosure information we get to be the groundbreaking things it's still going to be in the heart of the act where you atip specific uh departments to to get the good stuff yeah Yeah, sort of the nature of proactive disclosure. Everyone, it's not like anyone's surprised that they suddenly have to proactively disclose something. Uh, So when you're making your expensive claims or you're, you know, titling that briefing note, you're now aware that this is going to go to the public. So there's a certain degree of self-censorship that happens. What once would have been labeled perhaps more salaciously is now generic briefing note title one. Yeah. Becomes a lot less interesting when proactive disclosures at play. We'll see. I mean, they could give us all a treat and keep them the way they are, but uh, that is you're that probably is very right. optimistic. Thinking. I dare think. Well, if I don't have optimism, what do I have? <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll see. My other question is going forward. They've said that they will have the resources available to make sure that proactive disclosure is going out on time, but right now the entire system is just so bogged down. Yeah. I don't know how we're actually going to. There's no mechanism to hold a minister other than political will uh, to account in terms of tabling the thing on time. Yeah. Hmm. Or introducing it on time. So I'm curious how long it's going to be before it's, oh, it's, oh, 120 days. Well, sorry, now it's been delayed to 200 days for whatever reason. And then it's way past the point of where if you had just a tip that document yourself, you could have hypothetically gotten it in 30 days. And now you've right. got to wait the 120 and then everyone's going to get it at the same time. And it's just not getting at the heart of what access is supposed to be for. Yeah. Well, I mean, the access information system itself is already quite bogged down, and frequently you're going to get stuff And there's like, nothing in the bill that yeah. changes that or improves that. Well, they're arguing, I guess technically through this proactive disclosure, that those are some of the most popularly, most commonly requested things. So if we stop people from requesting them the general way and just know that they'll show up, then maybe that'll take down the frequency of or the number around 85 a day if you didn't know wow on average 85 requests some of them can be very big too across all of government yeah wow i mean mean, some of them are probably very specific and then others are like the enormous right well and they're trying to tap into that with this bill too they have a provision in it which i'm curious how it's going to get executed um where departments can now decline any request that is overly broad or uh, is yes. in bad faith. The vexatious. Uh, so, so if you can find me a definition of what in bad faith means, that will be applied to all government departments. Yeah. Fantastic. But right now, I'm not so sure. So I got, I got a briefing on this of sorts from uh, from my partner who does some ATIP work in the mm-hmm. government. Um, and she argues that the vexatious request thing is, is perfectly reasonable in the sense that they do get... You know, borderline harassment That's through the ATIP system. Sure, and they're and a it, fishing expedition. Yeah, and it's guaranteed. not journalists that are going to be covered by this. It's really like people who are like being quite personally abusive. Uh, and this does exist and does happen. Uh, so, and you know, for them, it's journalists are totally legitimate, and they, the the people in the civil service typically, you know, the, the politicians might be different, but the people in the civil service see the role of journalists as a positive one, right. and they want to kind of like meet them halfway so on yeah, stuff. So yeah, if they're getting the document that in the request is scathing and angry and saying, I want all these because you're, that 
fair enough. Yeah. I'm just Well, wondering... it's a persistent pattern of doing that, sure. too, right? Like, but just yeah. where do we get to the point where they're like, oh, no, this journalist's request is in bad faith? Or yeah. it doesn't necessarily, they don't have to know that it's a journalist because yeah. you don't always have to. But you can always declare. appeal to the information commissioner, though, right? Like, right, there and is actually that. has order making powers. Exactly. So, so you I can think there's. To get info. Yeah, there is a sort of balance here that I think is actually pretty well struck on that particular account because it is a system that is occasionally used to just like harass people, and I don't think it should be used that way. It's yeah. a waste of everyone's time. So. What it, what it really depends on is, of course, in practice versus in theory. Um, what I'll always remember, I was like looking over... <laughs> like everything <laughs> Like, obviously, you, you give a new tool to the government and whether or not it's used yeah. uh, maliciously or in ways that the public or journalists or... When you give a new tool to the opposition, too. And... Is, is, of course, a question. I'll always remember reviewing one... I think it was an RCMP uh, DPR, so Departmental Performance Report, or, yeah, I think it's report. Uh, it was an annual report, and there was a couple of asterisks on the bottom, and it was uh, RCMP complaint, or complaints about RCMP use of force or misconduct or something like this, and the number was really large, but there was little asterisks on the bottom that said, like, 97% of the reports were filed by the same guy. And he was just throwing, like, the entire system there's out of whack. There's a crazy thing about noise complaints in, like, D.C. about one of the airports where, like, there's been one guy just phoning in, like, hundreds of complaints a week since the 70s or something. And it's just, like, something like that. But it's just, like, you will always get just one dude, and it almost is inevitably a dude, <laughs> who is just, like, incredibly psychotic about, like, just one thing and just will use, like, whatever public mechanism Multiple at his disposal. Multiple colors. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Written in the margins of old newspaper articles. Yes, now that um, I... I you know, I would like to access information request everything yeah. written in Comic Sans for the government of Canada. Oh I wonder God. if you could do that. That'd be or really like I have no idea. smile face is used? Because you could... There are so that you do search. see those, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So one of one of the favorite uh, access to inf- I actually have two favorite access to information stories from while I was in government. Uh, one was about so CSIS, which is Canadian spies, uh, is notoriously bad as you would expect at fulfilling access to information requests. So someone accessed information requested their uh, details about their cafeteria, <laughs> which of course is not covered by the act. That is fair game. And so the story was about like. This time, or there was a quote by a couple, I'll presume analysts going back and forth, about uh, if the cafeteria was out of muffins again, they were going to call Amnesty International, (laughs) which which was pretty good. Yeah. And then the other one was about a time where uh, the cafeteria had uh, served non-halal food to a, a, a delegation that had specifically requested halal food, like just these quirky little stories like that. Yeah, I have a, a colleague of mine had A-tipped uh, meals in uh, prisons okay. and had done a whole story because they actually sent him photos of what some of these trays looked like and it was just god-awful, but I was amazed to see that through A-tip they were able to get their hands on actual trays of food. I mean, air quotes there, sorry, food. Um, see, there's interesting things and every once in a while you'll see a journalist do a story just purely based off of like these were the weird kind of comment comments in my access request or XYZ. Yes, emojis, comic sans, or uh, more often than not, which is kind of the heart of the issue, that entire chunks of things blacked out, sometimes including the words Government of Canada, as if I didn't <laughs> yes. know which Ooh, yes. department or government I was <laughs> yeah. tipping. That's really funny. I actually went through a, a large ATIP release for the first time the other day. It was about 2,000 pages, and like 99% of it was Did blacked out. Did you at least out. get a PDF? It wasn't It was a PDF, yeah, luckily. Um, and yeah, like the only things that were in there that I actually saw were basically like emojis and discussions about food. Like without exaggeration, like that is like 90% of the stuff I saw. So um, that wasn't just like blacked out right. pages and pages and yeah, pages Yeah, I would imagine cabinet doesn't really need advice on what dinner. No, yeah, it's a, not exactly a confidence <laughs> for them. Uh, so to, to circle back a little bit to the sort of principle of the matter here. So the, the Liberals did promise to, to bring this, this in, to say that ministers' offices and the prime minister's office would be, uh, you know, their documents would be releasable under ATIP, the Access Information Act. Um, and, you know, you can sort of, I, I think we all probably agree that that is not what they're doing here. Fair to say. I think Etienne and I are both on team that was a stupid promise to begin with. Sure. Yeah. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on Put that? Put me in camp. More information is good information. 
I can understand the perspective of a, a minister's office staff and the PMO needing to communicate in some form. Yeah. Uh, and it has been argued if this was to happen, you'd be, I don't know, Twitter DMing each other all day, which we don't really <laughs> think is great for anyone. Um, so I can understand that perspective. Uh, and it's easy to say I work for somewhere where my emails aren't going to get ATIPS. I don't have to think about it. Uh, but just from the journalists' argument, they promised this. They said they were going to do it, and they didn't really. And I think, well, it would just be a field day, potentially, for journalists, which for me, I was never going to say that's a bad idea. Like, do it, open it, let's see that's what we fair. can find. It would be interesting stories for days. But yeah, politically speaking, I guess I can completely understand why it would be a risk. Yeah, well, it's not even so much that people would, like, use Twitter BBMs or whatever, like they, they probably would find ways around it. It's just that, like, they, it they... just really like inculcates a culture of secrecy even more. That like it would reinforce that like you have to like get around everything, and like it's just unhealthy for government to always be thinking like that. That's like at fair. some point, they need to I... just be thinking like, how can we just do our jobs? I guess I would argue though it could, I mean, potentially be something like where eventually everyone's social media comments uh people who want to be politicians it won't matter because everyone's done them if we get to the yeah. point where you're a tipping enough that you're just getting like silly embarrassing back and forth between two staffers potentially that, i'm being optimistic I, and forgetting about <laughs> politics here i, I would it note could that get that, to a point where we would not go after the low-hanging fruit and i would note that we haven't reached that point with low-hanging fruit in terms of people's social media comments again for, forever uh, an optimist <laughs> <laughs> i agree that that will probably change over the next like you know generation or so even probably in the next like five ten years i just mean with more and more yeah if we were to get access to ministers offices and get yeah. the conversations right off the bat for sure we'd be interested in like yeah. just what silly things so-and-so said to each other but Maybe I don't know. After a point, it could get. Well, if Tan and I had a you know salacious radio show twenty thirty <laughs> years ago, like we probably wouldn't be in politics. But now we can sort of have a podcast, and it's fine. And you know, we're not we're not getting anybody killed, so it's okay. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think in the so, context of a minister's office, like it's I just think you need the room to just do your job, and like yeah. not be thinking about like what will this look like if it's in the Globe and Mail, so, which. Let, yeah. let me give you an example of a situation um, where it would be sort of very inconvenient. Um, the one of the common diversions or ways that you know people in government broadly don't put things in writing is they they pick up the phone and call, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes, that that's the, often the end of many an ATIP chain, which is I'll give you a <laughs> yeah. call. It's like ah oh, well, yeah. hmm. this has gotten too sensitive for email. Yeah, um, is. So political offices, obviously, ministers' offices and PMO, have the luxury of not having to worry about that and can put things into email. And the only way that comes out is through lawsuits. Lawsuits yeah. are still able to yeah. uh, demand. But that's what's, what's the legal term? Subpoena. Uh, subpoena documents <laughs> uh, and that sort of thing. It, it would sort of... I, I can think of scenarios where it would hamper a minister's office's ability to communicate. Where, say, you're in a briefing and you can't take a phone call or you're responding to a crisis and you can't take a phone call and your primary method of communication yeah. is email. And not only that, but on email you can communicate with you know the entire office simultaneously yeah. as opposed to playing telephone yeah, and, conference call. and conference call and passing it down the line and yeah. it's a lot less convenient. Well, frankly, for me, like I'm forgetful as shit. So I like having stuff written down. So like if I forget what was said later, I can just go like look in the email chain and be like, ah, okay, this is what I told people I was going to do. So I can like track right. that down. No misinterpretation. There's a written record for staff to refer to. Yes. And so... If staff in ministers' offices who have this power were to take it offline, off off digital at least, I think it would be basically to the detriment of their ability to operate in a lot yeah, of ways. I agree. Um, but that being said, feel free to hold the liberals to account on this. <laughs> yeah, go after it. Yeah, like, just go, go to town. <laughs> broken promises, broken promises, yeah. broken promises. Well, because, I mean, like, look, like, honestly, like, you know, some people thought, like, the, the electoral reform promise was stupid as well, but, like, at the end of the day, like, they're accountable for the promises they make. Like, it was up to them to not promise stuff they weren't going to keep. So I think there is a legit, like, you can you can be mad at them for this, even though, like, I think it was, like, ultimately probably the right call to not do it. I still think you can hold them accountable and say, like, look, like, you did promise this. 
and like your like at least just say like we thought better of it instead of doing this stupid bullshit of like well you can see the publicly available comments right. that we make every day you know well, like we told the minister four months later in qp three months ago yeah after you heard him say it in qp that's just kind three of months ago yeah like just don't insult our intelligence right like it's just like go ahead break your promise whatever you do it all the time but like don't Assume we're stupid. Well, good news, gentlemen. They are going to be reviewing the law a year after it passes. It takes royal assent. Uh, and then every five years after, that's written into the bill. So that there seems is, reasonable. Uh, at least a timeline set up for potential conversations to restart after we've gotten used to the new tweaks to the system, see how they go. Yeah. Uh, could be good, or we could have an even stronger argument for why it needs to go further. Okay. Fair enough. Well, that, that will conclude our segment on access information. So it is, uh, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, it, it is the end of the sitting. Uh, the House and Senate have not sat this last week. Uh, they finished on Thursday? Thursday. Thursday. Well, Wednesday, there was a bit of a Wednesday, kerfuffle. Thursday. The House finished yes. on Wednesday. The Senate finished on Thursday. Yes. Uh, they needed that extra little time to really contemplate. Of course. Sober second thought. Yeah, one, one thing we haven't mentioned, and I don't want to go into depth because it's, I mean, it's funny, but we're, we're a little late on this. It's sort of the last minute back and forth. On ping the, pong. The, ping pong. <laughs> it was really good. The legislative ping pong on the Budget Implementation Act. On Folks, the yeah. by cameralism, it's good. <laughs> so, this, so the facts here are the BIA, so the Budget Implementation Act, was approved by the House, got sent to the Senate. Senate wanted to do amendments and yeah. overruled their speaker to try and do amendments to we did, it. This is, this is the last so, that we had updated you on because we did talk about this last they week, wanted but that's to, when the... They, the Senate wanted to get their committee to split the bill in two to pull out the infra infrastructure bank section. Yes. Right, which is big. It's like $35 billion that they're committing. Fair enough. Yeah. But uh, ultimately, um, speaker was like, well, no, you can't create two money bills in the Senate. Right, yeah. So uh, eventually that was voted down, but the Senate did pass amendments to um, uh, liquor tax. Yeah. The, the infamous escalator. Yes, the escalator tax, or so-called escalator tax, as I've noted, um, to wine, <laughs> beer, and spirits. Uh, and so that did pass the Senate. And so that was Wednesday. They decided, well, Tuesday it passed, and then eventually got um, to the House on Wednesday. Uh, House MPs were ready to go. They were yes. Yes. like already dreaming of, I don't know, Bahamas. Barbecues, and... yeah. <laughs> so uh, they had unanimous consent or unanimous agreement, which if you've been following the House of Commons for the last little while was a feat, mm -hmm. uh, to adjourn early. They were going no matter what, and they did, but the bill was still in, in suspense. We didn't know what was going to happen uh, because it was sent back to the Senate and the House was basically saying, Thanks, but no thanks. Like, noted your amendments, but we're not going to take them. And it was in the Senate's hands to decide if they were going to bat it back once more or just take what the House had said and let it go. And then one of the issues that arose here was, so the Senate uh, sends it to the House. The House is ready to go. And I remember, like, people, like, drinking the night before, be like, the House has risen. And then, like, an hour later being like, the House might have to reconvene tomorrow. Like, we don't know what we're going to do. Yeah, so everyone was kind of waiting to see because if the Senate had... Uh, stuck to their wills and, and wanted to send it back one more time, the speaker could have been compelled to recall Parliament. But the reason the Senate wanted to send it back one more time was because they were taking offense to the wording that the House sent the bill back with, like, with the messenger. Essentially saying that uh, the Senate was overstepping their bounds and reaffirming the, uh, the rights of the House to decide what's uh, in budget. Hmm. bills and so ultimately the compromise was that okay we won't push the amendment this time we'll take it out sorry wine beer and spirit industry but <laughs> we are going to reaffirm to the house that the senate has the ability to privileges i think was the word they used to amend legislation in any form no matter what kind so of ultimately the precedent here they basically haven't really set one and they've backed down but Again. on the substantive point, but yeah. then also just reserved the right to not do so in the future. Basically put the House on notice that when um, Parliament resumes in the fall, uh, we have not been deterred by this is basically what they're yeah. saying. Okay, So stay tuned. There could be, and they have already been doing it. There's been a number of bills where the Senate has suggested amendments. The House has taken them in some instances. The House has said no in others. And it just seems like they're going to continue to flex that muscle and are kind of telling the House to take note. 
This is such like an inside baseball <laughs> parliamentary bond. Oh my god, fight. Yeah. this has been my week for. <laughs> well, because like not only so is good. it like because usually like the inside baseball in Ottawa kind of tends to be about like one house or the other. But, like, it's very rare that you get, like, legislative badminton like, like this. Like, I was running down the hall between the House <laughs> and the Senate, recorder in hand, trying to figure out, literally listening to Parlview or Send.ca nice. on my Blackberry in my <laughs> ear as I'm running back to the House. It was quite a thing. Yeah. I always get mad whenever I go to the Senate side. Just all Why the, like, kings and stuff. It just bugs me. I don't oh, know. all I of the, the portraits on the wall? Yeah. As, as the socialist anti-monarchist. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he catches on fire when he goes to... You just gotta learn those salacious uh, bedroom details, and then you'll enjoy going in there so much more. <laughs> they all a, have a story. Like the, the portraits? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Well, they're all, like, you know, and I'm not gonna proceed <laughs> any further because I'm gonna get myself, like hung and quartered or drawn and quartered for, for treason. Hey, our else. future monarch will be in town. Which um, one? Saturday? Saturday. I think he's in town for three days. Like, but so, okay. Which, which one again? Uh, Charles. Okay, Charles. Charles not, is coming not to visit. Willie, not Big Willie. Manhole covers have been sealed with cement. We already do. <laughs> is that actually a thing they've done? <laughs> it's a thing they always do. Wait, really? So what, oh, sorry, I'm totally unaware of this. So, security measures. So security measures, part of them for Canada Day and arguably probably when the U.S. president visits, things like that, you'll notice that the... Uh, manhole covers in the Spark Street, really downtown core area. Have yeah, been okay. I've noticed over. they've done a lot of cement work on Spark so Street. So they, those couple they days. seal them so uh, explosives, I suppose, oh, could right. come up through. I don't know what the yeah. point of killing Charles would be, but okay. I knew they <laughs> did that in New York for major events. I I didn't know that was something that was done in Ottawa. Oh, that's super interesting. I have been told. I did not know that, that. but that would explain do. that would explain all the new cement. On Spark Street. Just like that dirty black asphalt kind of splashed yes, everywhere. Yes, yeah, it's really you ugly. Just shut that up afterwards. Yeah. Oh, okay, I was actually wondering because it would look hideous. Like, over the long... Okay, well, that explains that thing that's been in the back the more of my you mind. Know. Yeah, okay. It's hoping it'd be Big Willie. It is not Willie. Yeah. Not Big Willie, man. <laughs> Please never call him that again. No, we're, we're, uh, we went to the same school. It's fine. Um, like he's a fellow St. Andrews alum, so we can we can do that. Um, okay, so that, that, that's Santa sitting. So that that's. Uh, that's the end of the not session as many people have been saying that's uh, actually that brings us to our next thing so technically yeah it could be it could be because uh the, so now we're in speculation mode uh so they might prorogue is what we're hearing might and they might shuffle cabinet well they no. might not prorogue and they might not shuffle they might yeah indeed. latest according to at least one senior, senior government yeah. store on senior liberals right. like the 90s all over again who knows um, that there's definitely, well, it, the, he, the headline, I guess you could say, was there's definitely not going to be a cabinet shuffle this summer, though, asterisk, they will note Judy Foote, who was public services minister, is on a leave, and Jim Carr is filling in for her right now, and they're saying they're, depending on what her decision is about whether she's going to return, there could be a one-in, one-out. Okay. Um, but I would also note there's a couple ministers that have double portfolios where, it would arguably not be a shuffle if you just hand one of those portfolios to someone else. Yeah. Um, sort of like the technical definition of a shuffle. Well, it's right. not like, actually when you say you're shuff- not going to open the ministers and the came <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> we're not going to do a shuffle. We're just going to like well, one in one. I don't technically. Know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, shuffle speculation has maybe been dampened a little. Yes, it does seem that uh, way. Potentially, uh, but uh, anything's possible, though it doesn't really change anything in terms of an argument on prorogation. Yeah, prorogation would be the bigger kind of, like, tangibly do a lot more at this point. Because we we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, where, like, we've mentioned that the Liberal government has consistently been not super great at getting legislation through, and that, like, continues to be the case. Um, though they did do like a marathon for the last right, couple of weeks. Right, and time allocation is a wonderful thing, as they've learned. Yes, indeed. Yes, so so long, everyone loves it in so government. Much yeah. Time allocation is a, is an affront to democracy. Like it should never happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That you hear every single time in debate by every party as soon as it comes up when you're in opposition. To be fair, the conservatives have said, "No, we used it in government. It was great." Like the only sticking point we have with them using it is they said they weren't going to. Which is, once again, <laughs> once again, you get screwed by the promise, the stupid promises you make that you shouldn't have made. What, so like under-promise and over-deliver? Is that the... Yeah, yeah. Over-promise, I mean, that's, under-deliver. Yeah, that's a really the bad way to do it. It's, uh, yeah. So, the, the one thing I would note on prorogation, and I actually myself have some questions here, um, which is a lot of people have been debating 
sort of what exactly prorogation does. So private members' bills uh, remain intact to a degree. I believe they get reset a little bit, but stay in the same house that they were in or something along yeah. those lines. They're reinstated sort of automatically. And then uh, government legislation is wiped clean, but there is also the option for a motion to reinstate it right. at the point it was at pre-prorogation. And you can do one motion to reinstate as much legislation as you wanted to. Correct. So it's really just a tool to drop errant legislation and sort of refresh the parliamentary schedule? Well, what could happen, arguably, is uh, they introduce a motion and it just needs a majority to pass to reinstate government bills. The I, I would have to double-check, but I think the only like hink is here. They would be reintroduced at whatever stage they were last at, but they would be in whatever form they initially were in. So if they had been amended, it's ah. possible that they would look a little different, though okay. I'm not sure that there are really any bills that are in that position currently. Um, and the other argument would be, be, like you said, time allocation or passing bills has been a bit of a challenge. They could package some up together. There's, mm-hmm. I think, Ooh, into an omnibus bill. <laughs> Another <laughs> thing they said they wouldn't do. There's four criminal code cleanup bills that Jody yes, was yes, tabled yes, to yes. Yeah. like dueling and uh, other things from the criminal code. I actually, some wait, so dueling is, and... dueling is legal again? Technically. Sweet! Hell Though, yeah! All right. as, as long as your duel doesn't kill anyone right, or yeah. cause yeah, otherwise, harm. Well, okay, actually, the historical note here, and this is a historical pedant in me speaking, most duels actually did not kill people. <laughs> but uh, it was enough. Thing, it was enough so. to satisfy honor to just shoot into the air and apologize. So just All of this clarity. to say, they could wrap up the, the three or four criminal code bills that they have into one uh, okay. that, criminal that's... code cleanup, or they if they really want to go the omnibus route, they could package up a bunch more um i guess the argument for maybe not doing it would just be the fact that they have uh had momentum in the last month i think in terms of introducing a a number of bills and bigger things than they had for a while so they might just want to avoid the distraction right off the top of what's going to happen with all of this and just keep going that's fair um to be determined i think it wouldn't be a complete um shake up or breakdown if they did parogue because it wouldn't be that dramatic of a process to reinstitute things there would be some little things you'd have to kind of file through and see what happened with certain things but that's my job and if you do that cool keep me busy if you don't that's fine there'll be plenty of other things for me to (laughs) chat about um but we'll see i think that would be the the, the argument for it would be to kind of have a reset and another throne speech. But there are so many other ways, arguably, that you could technically do that without yeah. actually doing that. So It does we'll kind of, like, on a more qualitative level, it does seem to me that this is a government in a need of a little bit of a reset. Uh, in that it's kind of been a rough couple months for them legislatively. The Trump stuff really knocked them off balance, I think, like from last November, mm-hmm. that they had to scramble in a lot of fairly big ways to adjust to that new reality. Um, and, you know, they've taken a lot of beatings over not keeping promises on electoral reform on this now, on the, the ATI stuff, among other things. I, I think it, like, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for them to kind of, like, get in with a new throne speech and kind of just, like, lay out their priorities and sort of get going with a new kind of impetus on a lot of the things they want to do. Sure. I mean, just on a purely qualitative level, it just feels like they're a government that's kind of limping right now in the last little while they have introduced like big policy on defense foreign aid things like that where they were kind of mini throne speeches but i think what could be the determinant factor here is how they do over the summer because yes they have been kind of on the rails for the last little while but the summer the the barbecues the the campaigning kind of style uh, summer politics that we see they're pretty good at yeah and so that could help them kind of get on track on brand on focus and so i think if they're able to if they're noticing it internally, I think that yeah, they've kind of recovered from the bumpy turbulence that has been the last few months of the session. And in two months from now, like political memory is so short, we're very true. We'll probably be the only ones in Ottawa. So, do you remember that budget bill? <laughs> 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 so, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, so, Etienne, uh, you had some. Uh, parliamentary trivia questions for us to wrap up. Uh, yes. Wrap up season one. In in honor of the end of session. Sitting. Sitting. I you got I was, it. I, I told I was, you like I, three I, times again. I knew I was going to get that wrong immediately. Um, 
To be honest, it was a little rushed, so it's it's not the best trivia I've ever put together. And there's only there's only a few. There's about ten questions or so. So what you're doing here is uh, under promising, and you're gonna over <laughs> yeah, over exactly. That's gonna be the best damn trivia you've ever had. This is the most exhaustive trivia in 34 years. And, and so the other problem with this is like standard parliamentary trivia questions would be like, how far apart are the government and the house, uh, or not the government and the house, are the government and the opposition in parliament? It's like, oh, two sword lengths. Like, right. fun, quirky facts, but I imagine everyone here knows that. Yes. So it's coming up with different questions that people might not, or people here at least might not know, or some of our more avid listeners. Um, so the first one is actually derived from a headline today. And so I just, I just want you to find the missing word in this ridiculous headline. Uh, quote, can Justin Trudeau's blank bring world peace? Socks, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What were they today? I think... I, they were NATO socks? or No, NATO... So that would article, not be very peaceful. The article in The Guardian had, like, an enumerated list of the different socks oh, Justin has he's, he's had NATO socks recently, and he had the Star Wars socks, that obviously, was the, the rainbow socks. When he went on uh, the... Not the... Who's the American talk show? That oh, he, Kelly Ripa and Ryan Seacrest. Yeah, they gave him a pair of socks with themselves on it, like Classic. a Kelly, Kelly nice. Ripa and Ryan Seacrest socks. So. Nice. I, I know the entire parliamentary press gallery is on bated breath waiting for those to appear one day. Oh, yeah. All right, so the next question, this one's also in recent news uh, from last week, uh, is that Justin Trudeau was initiated into an exclusive club which counts among its members Peter Mansbridge and Margaret Atwood. What club is this? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know either. Gary's Hug Club. Oh, with the unicorn! That's right. an actual thing? It's a segment... I had seen people sarcastically tweeting, but it was one of those hashtags I wasn't <laughs> So Gary, Very sure. Gary's Very Hug fair. Club is a segment on the Studio K, which is apparently a CBC Kids television program. Oh. And so there's a lot of memes that came out of this, both good and bad, of Justin Trudeau giving Gary the, the biggest, right. bestest, prime ministerial hug imaginable. So one of his end-of-sitting interviews... Interview might be a generous term yeah. for it, but appearances. television appearances, uh, because uh, Studio K was having a girl or a young girl, five-year-old named Bella, uh, won Prime Minister for a day. So she got to meet Trudeau. She built What a... socks was she wearing? Didn't ask that question. <laughs> she built a pillow fort in his office. Nice. And then on the house, uh, on the floor of the house, they made a couple policy resolutions for, quote, more hugs, everyone be kind, and more dance parties. Hmm. Can those actually be real things? Yeah, that'd those be are fun. That's what see throne speech, guys. So this is like these were not passed the- unanimously. <laughs> they will have to go to votes. Reset the priorities. You you just know there'd be a couple of conservatives against the more hugs and the more dance parties. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that that they're bad. Self-deprecating jokes. Yes. Um. <laughs> so this one is sort of a an omnipresent parliamentary trivia question, but I want, I want details. I expect details from both of you on this. So the speaker has whiskey. He does. Do you know uh, what type of whiskey it is and why it was controversial when it was selected last year? Well, I believe it's a blend and not a single malt. You're wrong. It is a single malt, really? It is a single malt. Really? Interesting. I have had it. It is delicious, and I cannot remember what the specifics of it are. It's a 12-year-old Arbeler. Highland Single Oh, yeah, malt. okay. And so Aber- the- Aberlour. Uh, you can't pronounce anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not one of my strengths. So you're like Jean Chrétien, man. Like just was two the second controversy languages. that it had like previous partisan ties? Or? <laughs> no, well, that, that would be weird. I've driven past the Aberlour distillery one time, actually. It was that it was a Scottish whiskey and not a Canadian whiskey. Yeah, but like to and be honest, though, most Canadian whiskey is really bad. Hey, we got Whiskey of the World or whatever it's it was. It's not that good. The, the Northern, ago. the the Crown, the Northern Crown Harvest. Northern Harvest, it's, it's fine. It's Totally pedestrian. Well, Spirits Canada called this quote absolutely outrageous. Well, Spirits from Canada can. Do you want to take a guess at how much this, how much a bottle this costs? In Aberlour, twelve. Two fifty. 
250. Yeah, 150. Way too high. 75. Yeah, dude, wait, this is an Aberlore 12? Yeah, that's like, you can buy that at the LCBO. Well, you can't buy it at the LCBO, because LCBO sucks. You can like, buy it at the LCBO. Oh, well, never mind. LCBO is great. But, the LCBO yeah. sells it for $65. Yeah, it's oh. a cheap, it's like, not a very expensive whiskey. 75 at the parliamentary gift store, apparently. Okay, that's what it was. Yeah. Because they made it seem way more exclusive at the Speaker's Garden. It's like a totally fine whiskey. So. It's like nothing great like or bad about it. It's the most Canadian thing. It's a totally fine <laughs> It's acceptable. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good scotch. It's not amazing. The one that you get at the gift store has, uh, I guess, a $10 label on it, though, which makes it a tiny bit more exclusive than the LCBO version. I mean, come back when it's like, you know, like a 15-year-old Isla or something, or older. Like, I, I, don't, just... I don't know what that means. Okay. Okay, scotch fans, get in our menchies, because uh, <laughs> this is a... Tell us your favorite scotch. So one of the things I uh, also learned this session, and it was in relation to Andrew Shear. Uh, was that he'd be moving into his second Government of Canada residence. Yes. What was his first residence? It was the farm. King's Mayor. Yeah, I had no idea that the speaker had... What? I had zero idea. Really? That he has this, like, he farm and ranch house. Well, it's not, that's not King's Mayor, like, in Gatineau Park. Yes, it yeah. is. It is. Yes, so it's it is. Kingsmere, okay. He's got the King's Mayor farm estate, but he also has an apartment in the House of Commons. I did not know In that. center block, there's an apartment for those, I don't know, late nights or when he doesn't want to commute all the way to... Really? Yeah, yeah. so there's a whole apartment. Uh, it's little, but it's there's like a now bed and a whole... Now I'm wondering how I missed this. Yeah, there, there was an unkind joke circulating about man with five kids moves into public housing, <laughs> but uh, yes. Yeah, I, I had no idea yeah, the, so speaker this, had a, the yeah. speaker had a house. Yeah, it's pretty nice from what I hear. I've never been, but... It is, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've added some Wikipedia facts here. Uh, it's named because of its history as an old farmstead dating back to the mid-19th century and built by settler Henri Fleury. So it's a French farmhouse. Uh, the farm has been official residence since 1955 and is now, of course, governed by the National Catholic Mission. There's some cool artifacts in there. There's a... It, Mackenzie King, was that the one that yeah. was... Yeah, it? Is it like yes, publicly yeah. visible? Well, yeah, it's right in the park. Those garden parties every summer. Every, uh. um, so there's the mirror where he used to sit at... Um, his dinner table and watch himself eat. He was the bachelor that he was. And there's also this orb that That's he normal. would consult. Oh, good. Yes. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> the old mirror in the orb, eh? <laughs> yeah. So whatever. It's normal. Still there. We're not doing Disney fairy tales here. No, we're no this was Trump like real PM, or, yeah, facts. Actually, it was the Prime Minister's I think. Yeah, it was, it was his residence. Yeah. Uh, and the funny thing about that is the reason it's not a national park is because you can't, like, live in national parks, so they made it an NCC site instead so uh, that Mackenzie King can continue to live in it. NCC rules. Yeah. So, good, good way to get around that. Anyways, Mackenzie yeah, King also on. looks a lot like Sam Neill, the guy from Jurassic Park. <laughs> true story. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sorry. All right. It was just, just true fact. Anyway. You gotta go see the orb. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, orbs, they're, all, they're the rage right now. <laughs> orb of power. Yeah. Um, so this one comes from a David Aiken Facebook post. Uh, he posted the top 10 English language downloads from the Government of Canada online library. Oh, crap. Any guess what the first... I have the first three and the fifth one here. Any guess what the first uh, top most downloaded Government of Online... Government, Government of Online. <laughs> Government of Phoenix online library uh, document is... The first one's pretty obvious. Is it like Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms? Yes, it is. Nice! Oh, Woo! The second one, less obvious, is the Canadian Firearm Safety Course. That also makes okay. a lot of sense. You, the gun nerds are the like, weirdest, most obsessive people on Earth, except for like, trained nerds. The third one is how to complete the Record of Employment form. Fair, yeah. So, basic employment stuff. Uh, I didn't say the other ones, but the fifth one is notable for being Edible and Poisonous Mushrooms of Canada. That also amazing. makes sense, yeah. It, I'm sorry? In yeah. what world does that make sense? People like to go foraging. It's in the top, like, we have a lot of mushrooms. The fact country. that they could find that specific of a document on any Canada Government of Canada website is applaudable. That is fair. very true. I have... also Government of Online is like just <laughs> by the way just a great like weird Twitter handle. I have not looked up the document. I hope to soon, and I will definitely report if there's back. There's pictures. It definitely. Oh, there definitely will be some like civil servants drawings of like what different mushrooms are. <laughs> um. So uh, a week or two ago, it's all as you said, it's all blurring together. Uh, Hector Louis Langevin had his building renamed to the, this isn't the trivia question, but the Office of the Prime, Prime Minister and the, the Privy, Privy Council, Council Office, or some... It some really rolls off the tongue. Really <laughs> rolls off the tongue. Bureaucratic name. I, uh, I maintain that they should have renamed it after someone if they were going to go that way. Real block. Real block. Woo! <laughs> 
Not not the most popular of ideas. Uh, what kick or what forced Hector Louis Langevin out of office? The well, oh, like the actual dude. Yes. Like, okay. No, I, I no, will not the building. Probably some like enormous corruption scandal involving railroads. He was implicated in the Pacific scandal, but it was not the Pacific scandal. Okay, because I just figure another day. I just figure like everyone at that time period was just like getting into lots of trouble about railroads because there was just that like obsession with trains and it's a dangerous hobby. So that's like along the right lines. Any uh, guesses? No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. A harbor kickback scheme. Oh, there we go. That's see, classic infrastructure <laughs> kick. It's got all the elements of a 19th century scandal. Yeah, apparently he oversaw some government contracts that did not go so well and retired to backbench politics or to back to the backbenches and left politics in 186, uh, 1896. Yeah. Um, here's another good one. This is uh, ripped from a old Tristan Hopper article from the National Post. Mm. What is the proper name of 24 Sussex? Like the f- name before it was called that? Like the only name it's had. Gorst Wispa. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> How did you know it, that? It's Welsh for place of rest. Uh, close. It's either Welsh for place of peace or resting place. All right. Uh, place of peace apparently is the name on the government website, on PMO website. But Welsh people will tell you that is in fact resting place. Uh, and it was named So you could by... say for even a place of rest is what you could say. <laughs> I mean, I, I like the literal translations here. It was named by a Vermont lumber baron as a gift to his third wife. Nice. That, that's some Trump shit there. I just the, gotta say. The same, um, the same name adorns several buildings in Wales, but they're all retirement homes, bed and breakfast. That makes a lot more sense and is way more morbid. And then the last one. Oh, let, let's do last two. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna pull one out of my hat here. Um, the last two is this one was sent to us by a friend. It was. Which legislature is one of the only Westminster systems that sits backwards, as in the government is to the speaker's left rather than the speaker's right? So I read the DMs, so I won't answer. So this one's to Rachel. Oh, no. It, so it's a Canadian provincial legislature that is reversed. I'm going to avoid making any, like, obviously it's the East Coast because it would be backwards jokes, so <laughs> I'm just going to say I don't know. It is the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes stereotypes are true. It is PI. Woo! <laughs> nice. And it's the PI because apparently the building had no central heating and the government wanted to sit near the stove. Nice. Guys, Province House is very small. That is very believable. Oh, I love that. So is that what it's much. called? Is Province House? Yeah. The what? What was the other thing we learned recent or that you were discussing was that. Uh, Atlantic Canada, there's a couple of goofy ministers. There's like a minister of Welsh affairs. There's a minister of Gaelic affairs in Nova Scotia and a minister of Celtic affairs in New Brunswick. What do they do? Gaelic and Celtic affairs, obviously. There's like an Irish festival in your machine New Brunswick every year, so probably something with that. I don't know. Okay. Are they full ministers or like I think it's in both cases. These are portfolios they have on top of something else. Okay. I believe. Someone may correct me on this, but... That's all for me. That's my uh, impression. I have one. Go for it. For you guys. It's in the latest issue of Pardon and Hoots magazine on newsstands now. <laughs> nice. Um, Very good plug. So, no, Canada never heard Day of it. <laughs> is coming up. And so I'm wondering Wait, what if day? Canada Day... Oh, that one, yeah. Canada 150. You mean anti-colonialism day? Yeah. So... <laughs> I have a question for you. So the flags, the massive flags that go up on Parliament Hill at five times a week or so, they're replaced and sent out. How much? How long of a waiting period is it? No. How much does one of those flags cost? It's free. Not to get for the government. Oh. Oh. um, Oh, geez. I don't know. Uh, Like 200 smackers? Close. Higher or lower? Lower. We do the prices right rules? (laughs) <laughs> you're over one dollar you're disqualified oh. it's a hundred and fifty dollars per flag oh it's pretty close they change it five times a week or so and yeah there's about a 60 year waiting period That's yeah week. i saw this to the other day i think it's 40 40 to 60 okay. years somewhere in that somewhere. range anyways um yeah 150 dollars per flag so and they're sent out to canadians i've and also, when like tragedies happen, uh, yeah. they are delivered to the families of people involved and yeah. that sort of thing. So yeah, servicemen and women all get one as well. Yeah, yeah. Which bumps back the waiting list, I would imagine. 
understandably so. Not to be crass so. about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the more you know. The, uh, oh, so the other piece of trivia, uh, sort of on a Canada 150 theme that I haven't figured out how to phrase into a, like, well-rounded question is... Sounds like you're going to try, though. I'm trying to think of how to concisely phrase it. Um, and I'm just going to say instead, are you familiar with how the, how we got the Canadian flag that we did get? Oh, hell yeah. The, the committee Yeah, George side F. G. Stanley, dude. Yeah, I can tell you this whole story. Because uh, George uh-huh. F. G. Stanley was buried in a cemetery across uh, from where I went to school in uh, undergrad. So, yeah, we know all about this. So, basically what happened was that the PCs wanted to go with some other stupid bullshit. And the liberals... <laughs> Uh, the liberals were like, oh, we're going to do this Pearson pennant, which is the stupid looking like blue stripes on the side with, with like this triple uh, maple leaf in the middle. And then the NDP went with this uh, George F.G. Stanley design, which is the one we have now. And then the PCs went with it too as a compromise. And the liberals were faking like they were going to go with the Pearson pennant, but then just voted for George F.G. Stanley's design. And then that's why we ended up with it. It was 1962 and the flag was first introduced on February 15th. Boom. Did you know that the flag that they originally all agreed on is actually different than the one we have now? I did not. Well, mm-hmm. how is it different? I think there's extra. There was extra peaks on the one that they originally agreed oh, to. Oh, interesting. And yeah, fact checking on this one, but I was told recently that there was discrepancy between what everyone was holding in the photo, cheering, "Look at us, we're doing this," and what actually ended up. <laughs> That's amazing. They cleaned it up. I think there was too many uh, peaks. And so what you're saying is some bureaucrat along the way corrected the error. Yes. Corrected that's, that's what they the would error. say. That's what they would say. O- overcame well, or circumvented our democratically elected officials. That their, doesn't happen. What and their choices. <laughs> the unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats. Yeah, oh, like, the original sketch of it is so good because just like literally on a napkin and like Stanley, like I don't even know what his role was. Like he was like the a, only thing in government that we can actually all admit was written on the back of a napkin. <laughs> <laughs> so many things are. Admittedly, uh, you knew a lot. Both of you knew a lot more about this than I'd initially expected. Yeah, dude, I'm actually I, quite relieved. I was. Yeah, because George F. C. Stanley's widow, um, or his 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 wife, I suppose. I I don't know if I've been told widow is something people don't like. Anyway, I'm sorry if I've offended anyone. Um, she would. There was an annual George F. G. Stanley lecture at Mount Allison, and his former wife, when he was alive, I don't know. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> uh, would show up, and she was she was quite elderly and, and frail, but seemed like a very nice person. Anyway, one of them was about taxes. It was a it was a good lecture. Sorry. Okay, so uh, that will conclude uh, season one of the Boys in Short Pants. Um, well, well. We will be on interseason, I suppose, and that we will not be on hiatus like many lazier podcasts are doing. Uh, but we will be delivering content uh, once every other week instead of every week. Yeah, something like that. Whenever, and, whenever we get around to it. Yeah, it'll be sort of more focused, deep dives on kind of fun topics and you know fun history things uh, because there's not really a whole lot of politics to comment on. If if there happen to be politics to comment on, comment we will. But. Uh, that that will that will do it for us today. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope you'll come back. Yeah, I'd love to. Fantastic. Thanks everyone. Have a have a great uh, next couple of weeks and enjoy your your Canada day. 150. Woo.